With that, I'd like to introduce our head football coach, Carl Durrell. Have one goal in mind, which is to bring a championship. With a trick play, they've got Nixon behind the D. He's gonna go. They give it off on the end around the Lavisca Shadow, who runs over the top of a defender. Sideline ball shut off. It is Side Manga made the first man miss. Stayed on his feet for the touchdown. Welcome back to episode 25 of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Uh, unfortunately, we are recapping our first Buffs loss of the season. Uh, I actually kind of forgot how much it bums me out for the rest of the weekend when the Buffs <laughs> lose. Really put the day for the rest of the Saturday for sure. Yeah, I was walking around. I, was, I took my dog on a walk right after the game, and I was just in a bummed mood for the rest of the day. So that wasn't necessarily a, a fun, a fun day, but... A lot went wrong that was seemingly out of the Buffs' control. Not to say that that they didn't just outright lose the game because they did, but about every bad break that could have happened did. Yeah, I mean that's that's at the very least it's what it felt like, uh, which is crazy because I mean they were they were up they were up fourteen to seven and then up twenty one to ten like right at the beginning of the second half. And even, I mean, as late as, I'm trying to remember, like, I mean, Utah didn't get way ahead until the fourth quarter, I'm pretty sure, right? Right, because it it was... We were driving, CU was driving down six at one point, and they turned it over (laughs) on downs, but... um, I I don't remember exactly when that was. I want to say it was the fourth quarter, though. But anyway, yeah, you're right. It it felt like everything went wrong <laughs> or anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Like they obviously, I mean, we'll talk about it here in a second, but Nate Landman getting hurt is just like an absolute, absolute tragedy that yeah. he got hurt and the way he got hurt. Um, and really from that moment on, I think everyone who has watched the Buffs all year w- kind of had a feeling of, oh no. Even though they were winning 14 to 7 at the time, mm-hmm. I had a little bit more hope because as soon as he went out, Carson Wells made a couple of really good plays and they ended up getting a three and out on the on the defense anyway, but it it did. I mean, you could see the whole rest of the second half. It was a totally different team out there for sure. So it was just a huge huge bummer. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, like you said, they had that three and out, and I was like, okay, maybe they're going to just really, they're going to use that as like an inspiration or something and just kind of take it to them. Right. But, I mean, it, it seemed like after the after the half ended, uh, all, that, all that energy just kind of went away. And on top of that, Neuer, who apparently he's been dealing with a uh, shoulder issue all season, um, kind of re-aggravated it when he got slammed into the turf. Uh, Will Sherman got hurt. Yeah, that oh, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Vontae got hurt for a little bit, but he came back in. I mean, just like it, just like everyone that could have gotten hurt, pretty much did. 
Well, there was definitely a time period there where it seemed like people were going out on almost every every possession. We were losing one guy. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, Vontae came back, but I, I don't know that he was 100% because he didn't really show up again after he made that insane catch through pass interference. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Will Sherman came back, and I'm, I'm assuming he was mostly fine because I didn't really notice him um, after he came back in. But yeah, and Neuer, when Neuer came back, I mean, he he wasn't the same quarterback because that's one thing we can talk about that went well. I mean, he was throwing dimes in the first half. Like he was on fire. I mean, I, I literally said last week, yeah, I just don't want the Neuer deep ball to be part of the game plan. And then almost as if uh, Darren Shiverini and Sam Neuer had heard it and were like, all right, Chase, you know what? You can freaking suck on it. They just went out and <laughs> and threw like bomb after bomb there for a second, um, and yeah, and then it, you know it kind of cooled off a bit. But he was looking good throughout pretty much the entire first half, and then second half was a little bit shakier. But I wouldn't say he looked bad. They had some unfortunate, you know, there were some like drop passes and stuff. But yeah, um, but the last the last couple drives that he was in after he got thrown he definitely didn't look quite as sharp so right and i mean you kind of mentioned the drops is it just me or does it seem like drops have been kind of a decently large issue for most of the past like four years or is that just me overthinking it i mean i think part of it is it's college football and like college wide receivers drop balls all the time yeah so i mean you know we're not talking about like Devonta Smith over uh, Alabama, you know, um, we don't have like I I like our wide receiver group, but as far as like overall NFL potential, we're talking about probably Brandon Rice, right? Right, and and and, Va- and Vontae and potentially, um. You know, Daniel Arias has always had the size and strength and speed or whatever, but we we all know how that's gone. So, you know, I mean, right. even guys in the NFL drop passes all the time. <laughs> but, um, you know, like it, it it's I I I get what you're saying because yeah, I think I think it feels like it's been an issue, and I do think in this last game it happened a few times that, and it was pretty backbreaking every time, like. It wasn't like an inconsequential drop. Like there were some third down passes that were dropped. Um, I mean, Neuer's Neuer probably had in that first half. He probably had six more passes that could have been completed that that weren't because guys dropped the ball. So, yep, it definitely it was a rough one out there, and it was like very cold and icy. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not a wide receiver, so I don't know how that affects catching the ball. Other than if your hands are hurting and cold, it can make it more difficult, but. I you know I I'm sure if you talk to any of them they would say that they should have caught all those passes so it is what it is but I I think this game yes I don't know that the other games I felt like drop passes were a reason why the the game didn't get more out of hand or anything like that like I at least for this year I I mean past years maybe sure but this year I felt like yeah there'd be a drop here and a drop there but it wasn't like the deciding factor in the game at any point that's yeah that's fair I, I for whatever reason I will never forget when uh we were up like 
I want to say 14 nothing against Arizona State in like 2017. And Shea Fields dropped a wide open. He ran a nine route and just dropped yeah. it. No one was around him. I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Yeah. So maybe that's just always on the back of my mind. Yeah, well, I mean, don't get me wrong. We are Buffs fans. We're like scarred for life by like a, a number of different things. So, yeah. Pretty much you could pick anything out of a hat yeah, in the pick last your poison. 15 years. Like, the Buffs have probably lost that way one way or another. So, you know, you just... Yeah, were drops a problem in this game? Yeah, definitely, for sure. But both teams were dropping passes, to be fair, too. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that happens. You just got to get through it. Um, one way to make that better would probably be to hand the ball a little bit more to, I don't know, say the guy who is like one of the top five running backs in terms of yards per game, maybe. In the country. Yeah, maybe that, maybe that would have helped a little. Like, well, yeah. maybe giving him one carry at least in the first eight plays might have been might have been a smart move. I, I like I tried in my head before I got really pissed off in the second half when I was just like furiously texting you <laughs> about how much I can't stand Chev, which I'll get into in a bit. I have a little I have a mini rant for that, but I I, I want to know what the what the thought process like was he really just thinking I'm going to be smarter than then Utah's defensive coordinator, I'm going to come out and we're just going to sling it because they're expecting us to run it. Like he really thought that that was the the way to go when you, again, like you said, have a top five running back in the country per, in terms of yards per carry. And uh, what I didn't know is we were the most run heavy team in the entire power five. Yes. So we decide all of a sudden, nope, we're not giving it to him for the first two drives. Well, so that's what kills me is they essentially said, I mean, this game matched up as strength versus strength. It was our running game versus their D-line. Like, we were just going to hash it out, and whoever's strength was better, was we were, we were going to come out on top, essentially. I mean, on both sides of the ball. Like, they're a running team. We're a running team. We have a good D-line. They have a good D-line. That's how the game was supposed to go. And instead, we started with um let me just let me just go through it okay uh we went first drive we went pass 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 sacked pass and then had to punt second drive was pass 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 and a punt third drive was finally a run for broussard gave him the ball once passed it again and then kept it with Neuer, and he fumbled it. So, like, that's the first three Gosh. drives of the game. And Jarek Broussard has gotten the ball one time, and at least handed the ball one time over the course of, like, three, four, and then six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven plays. He, he got the ball once as, <laughs> out of the backfield. So... I For me, like, that's just in, flat out. That's just inexcusable. I don't know how you justify that if you're the coach. I mean, other than just saying I decided from the get-go that they're better than us, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. No, I mean, like, uh, you can't say automatically that their D-line is going to be better than your O-line when your O-line has dominated pretty much everybody throughout the season. And, I mean, there's a reason he is leading in the country in terms of yards per carry and even in this game I and mean, he averaged 5.7 yards a carry so it's not like he was getting shut down at the line of scrimmage no 
So I just I can't understand why he wasn't getting the ball. For he goes from getting I'm sure he probably averaged about 29 30 carries for the season up until this point, right? Uh probably close to it. Yeah, I mean he was the lowest total he had was 25, right? Right. And then he all of a sudden it gets cut in half and he gets 14 carries. Yeah. It just it makes zero sense to me what I mean I can understand obviously when we were down by you know 14 obviously at that point you have to throw but at that point Neuer was physically like incapable of throwing a ball above the ground and for some reason they didn't want to keep Lytle in who is transferring by the way for anyone that didn't mm. uh didn't see that he uh, entered the transfer portal but I mean the it's just mind mind boggling that they didn't run Broussard more and then for whatever reason Darian Hagen is intent on shoving Joe Davis and Jaron Mangum down our throats. I mean, they only got three carries. I feel like it felt like more than that, but um, Clayton's kind of shown to be the only back right now with Fontenot out that can do anything outside of Broussard, yet we're still seeing Joe Davis and Jaron Mangum get carries, and I don't understand that either. I mean, my thing with my thing with Ashad is he hasn't been given an opportunity to show much and yet he did still get two touchdowns in that in one game. So I yeah, I mean for me, I would like to just see what it looks like just to have give Jarek the ball 25 times and give Ashad the ball like 10 to 15 and just see what he does with them, you know? Just tell him yeah. from the get-go like, "Hey, you're the number 2 and we're going to use you a lot." Because that's the kind of team that we probably should be, honestly, if we really want to be winning a lot. We've talked about this before. It's run the ball a lot because we have a lot of talented running backs and pass off of that. I mean, it's no coincidence that our first touch touchdown drive, it was 11 plays and six of them were runs. Like that doesn't, that that's not a coincidence. That's not an accident. No. You know, that's, that's where we've been good is when we're going more than 50% run plays. I mean, on the, on the year before this, I think we were running the ball like 60 over 60% of the time or something like that. I think it was 65% is what I remember Joel class. Yeah. So like more than everyone who's not running a freaking triple option offense. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) to go away from that and go to, I don't know what it was by the time the game was over, but I know in the fourth quarter, I think before we got to the point where the buffs were just passing i i think because the last two drives all they did was pass and i don't think they got a first down because neuer just couldn't complete a pass anymore right but before that i looked at it because i knew the bus were going to lose at that point and i looked at what the total plays were and the percentages and i think it was like 44 percent of the plays in the game were run plays which is just such a steep drop from their average and you know, that Jarek only got 14 carries in this game. And like you're saying, a shot didn't get very many. Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. I mean, that's what it boils down to for me is they just out game plan themselves. I mean, the Buffs should have won this game. They easily could have won this game. Even with Nate Landman out, there was no reason why we couldn't score on them at all. I mean, the fact that we essentially got 14 points from our offense and then another touchdown from a punt return and that was it and the 14 points like it was a punt return from Brendan Rice and it was a one play 
61 yard screen pass from Brendan Rice. So we had like one legit drive where we actually like drove all the way down the field. Mm-hmm. So it that that just gets me more than anything at all. I mean the the running back situation I don't understand, but the fact is like you got to use the running backs period before you can even have the discussion of <laughs> who's the second guy. I mean Jarek Broussard he got 14 carries. The next closest in terms of like total reps that's a running back and not a quarterback was essentially Clayton with two. It was Clayton with two, Davis with two, and Mangum with one, which is just not enough. Period. I mean, as a, as a team, they only care, including Neuer, as a team, they only carried the ball 27 times, which Broussard was doing by himself through the first four games. Right. So I just don't, I, I think, I think, I don't know whose decision it was to go in with that game plan. I don't know if it was Chev. I don't know if Carl was like, hey, look, we need to do something different in this game or what. But whoever's idea it was, like, that was a that was a mistake. That lost in the game, pretty much. I mean, their offense couldn't score points. And when your defense and your team as a whole loses their best player, like, you're going to want to keep your defense off the field a little bit more. And they just weren't. I mean, they weren't. Like, there were multiple times in this game when I thought to myself, okay, just run the ball a lot, have a nice long drive. Even if you don't score, just like keep your defense off the field, give them a break, but they, and they didn't do it. And they just took no time off the clock and they defense got to go right back out there again and get gashed. <laughs> so, um, it, it was just so bad. The game plan was so, 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 so bad. And I can't stress that enough. Like, like, look, obviously Carl Durrell, I mean, to me, the person most to blame is is Chev because it's his offense. He, I mean, I I don't see Carl Durrell as being the kind of guy that's like he is micromanaging everything and making sure everything fits exactly what he's looking for. I mean, he probably trusts Chev and Summers to to do what they're doing. I I, I can't imagine that Durrell. If he would have, you know, looked through this entire game plan and said, yep, let's only run the ball 44% of the time, he would have been like, yeah, that sounds like a good plan to me. I mean, if if, if I, anything, I think he'd be the guy who would want them to run it more. I mean, he's like the notoriously right. conservative coach. So, yeah. So, I I got to think that this was Chev's, Chev trying to outsmart, um, now I'm forgetting the the Utah, Smart and Scally, defensive coordinator for Utah. Right. He was trying to outsmart him. And, but to, to kind of leap off of that, Durrell does have to, at some point, get on the headset and be like, we need to, th- to run the ball. So, I mean, they're, they're both at fault here, but it's kind of hard to change a game plan in the middle of a game, which then leads it back to Chev. So I, I, for me, I mean, for anyone that's obviously listened to this and for Chase, who I text about this probably on a weekly basis, <laughs> and I will... Will until he's gone. I can't stand Darren Cheverini as a offensive coordinator because one, his greatest strength as a coach is his recruiting. And for anyone that follows recruiting, he's been very minimally present as for as much as if you compare him to his previous years, he is not doing the same kind of work, especially in like Dallas Fort Worth that he normally does. So you're taking a guy whose best strength is his recruiting. You're taking him away from that to put him in a position where he's failed once before. And it kind of seems like he's failed again. He's never been a 
successful coordinator against good teams. I mean, that year we started five and zero. Did we play anybody that was good? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like. Did, did were any of those five teams? ASU good? was pretty good that year, and we had to beat them. And that I'm was pretty sure. And we beat UCLA, I think, too. But I don't think UCLA was good that because that was like Chip no, Kelly's second yeah, year, I mean, maybe or first they weren't. year. At the time, I think it seemed like a big deal, but right. And so he in that year he got figured out after five games. In this year, it seems like he got figured out after three. So that's even worse because we played three games. Well, even even really our third game, we didn't do much. Um, San Diego State's defense is at that point in time considered a pretty good defense, and I think they still are. Mm-hmm. But to to basically go from scoring. 40 plus in the first two games. Wait, was it 40 plus in the both for the first two games? Um, I now nah, I'm forgetting what it scored. was. It was 48 in the first one and 35 against Stanford. For 48 and 35, yeah. yeah, from 48 and 35. And then at that point, we don't score more than 24 the rest of the season when two out of the remaining three games are against poor to below average teams. It's just. He, to me, is not an offensive coordinator. He never will be a good one, I don't think, at least. And I know it's only his first year again in the coordinator role, but I personally wish he was gone. Whether it be to be a coordinator somewhere else, which, I again, I would never want – I would love for him to succeed. I just don't think he's going to. <laughs> and I don't want it to be here where he's just apparently going to bring our offense down to a level where people figure it out very quickly. So all of that to say I'm just – I'm very sick of seeing Chev in the coordinator role because we saw it one year already, a full season, and now we've seen it a half season, basically. And both both times, to me, were, were failures. So I'm kind of sick of it. But on the flip side of that, I don't think that he's going to be going anywhere anytime soon because not only is it his first season back in the role again, but on top of that, as much as this is like a quote-unquote cutthroat industry, Darrell doesn't scream cutthroat to me. And this is a guy that he coached when – or Darrell was Darren Chevrini's coach when he was a receiver here. So I feel like that makes things a little bit more complicated. Maybe it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. But to me, it probably – in my mind, I have a feeling it does, which is unfortunate. So sorry for the for the rant there, but I'm just – I'm sick of – I'm sick of watching the offense just become completely inept when we're not even halfway through the season. Okay, so – my thing with this, and I, I was like extremely, extremely frustrated with Chev in this game, and I, I wouldn't go as far as to say like I've been an apologist of his in the past, but I definitely haven't been as down on him as, as you have. Um, <laughs> my, my thing is, like, in, in twenty seventeen, right? That was the year, or was it 20, mm-hmm. 20, 20, 2018, 2018. When he took over and they started out and they went five and zero, the problem was they went five and zero, and then a they played like they played Washington when Washington was was super super talented and and then had to play USC after that so they had some tough games but then mm-hmm. late in the year was, um, the fact that people other teams legitimately like just knew what was coming. I remember stories coming out where I I don't know if it was Montez. Or what? Or who it was? Uh, it was a receiver. a receiver. I think it. I want to say it was KD or Lavisca that that mentioned but, it. Uh, but I. Could but be they wrong were just there. saying 
by the end of the season, the other team was calling out exactly what play was coming on offense. So they yeah. like they had no chance. I mean, when the other team knows what you're going to run, you have no chance. So um, and it looked like it, honestly. I mean, I was at I remember being at the last their last game that year when they played Cal and <laughs> Montez threw like two pick sixes right away. To start. It, looked, it looked exactly like, OK, they know what's coming like um it just it that was so horrific and this year i don't feel like it's the same problem i feel like it's a different issue and the issue is this year he has a solid playbook with plays that he can use that will do some damage and put some points up but for whatever reason he's just not using it correctly like i felt like in the first two games he was pretty much calling perfect games i mean really until the ends when they were playing super conservative because they had the lead um it was like every everything he was calling was just perfect it was a perfect adjustment to something else he had seen earlier and now it's like like why like what are you doing like the san diego state game it was they had a lead and i i'm assuming and we said at the time okay, well, they just know San Diego State can't score, so they're just going to stop playing like a legitimate offense and just run the ball every single play, and that's pretty much what they did. But you look at that, and you're like, if they run one play action where Sam keeps it, like that's all it would take, and it wouldn't even be dangerous, you know? And Yeah. Um, and then in, in the Arizona game it was the same thing as it was in the Utah game for the first couple of drives. Everyone was like, why are you not running it? Why are you not running it? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) And, and then eventually he settled down, ran the ball and they ended up winning because they realized they could run the ball on this team because Jarek Broussard is an animal. And yes, in this game, they kind of started the same way. The only difference is Utah is a better team than Arizona. And to Utah's credit, I do think they're much better now than they were in like their first game mm-hmm. and potentially in their second game. Like I think every game, you know, they're a well-coached team. Like Kyle Whittingham is a good football coach. <laughs> and even though his team likes experience, I feel like they were definitely playing better in this game than they had in the game prior. That said, we still should have beaten them. And I think the big thing with Chev is he's just not, he has the plays, he has the playbook, he has the playmakers, and he's just like not calling the right things at the right time now. And I don't know why that happened. I don't know what changed, but like, yeah, it's it's been it's been ugly, honestly. It's been really, really bad. And I think in this game, there were moments where we were driving and it was just some unfortunate stuff that I think could have could have potentially really changed it. Like, um, who was it? Sam threw that 41 yarder to KD, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next play he fumbled on a on a read option keeper, I think. Was was yeah. that drive? It was that. And yeah, was which that. was just unlucky because like if they if he doesn't fumble, you know, maybe they they're cruising at that point and and they get in the end zone. And maybe the game's entirely different. You know, like there was definitely some untimely stuff. But the point is they shouldn't have been in the position where those mistakes are what cost them the game in general because he should have been running the ball from the get-go and they should have been controlling the game how they wanted to. But they just weren't. Yeah, it's a, to me it's almost like he maybe 
gets in his own head too much and overthinks it. Yeah. Like he he doesn't he doesn't just like keep it simple. He like always is trying to like be four steps ahead of the other coordinator when you don't have to be. I mean, everyone's and everyone by game three knew we were going to run the ball. Still couldn't stop it. Right. I mean, so why why do you have to be so smart about it when you can just run the ball with the top running back yards per K wise in the country? It just doesn't make sense. No, it, it doesn't. And that's why I was saying, like, it's pretty indefensible the way that they started that game because they basically just gave up on what they do best. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why it happened. All I'm thinking, all I'm hoping is that if the Buffs do get another game this year, I just I hope they run the ball forty five times, like legitimately. Yeah. I mean, just just whoever you play, I don't care. Just run it down their throats because that's what we do best. And like, no disrespect to Sam. Like I said, he started this game out and he was playing very very well, but that's just not that's not where we're best. Clearly, and the be- we have we have two guys on this team. Okay who are head and shoulders, like, two of the best players at their positions in college football. One of them was Nate Landman, and he got hurt and left the game, and it changed everything. And the other one is Jarek Broussard, and he just didn't get the ball enough, and it ended up changing everything. So, yeah, I guess for me, I'm, I'm like, like, if we, if we had lost that game because we stuck to the run too much, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, okay, you know what? That's, that's what we do. We run the ball. That's our game plan. And you know what? They beat us. Their defensive line was better, and there's just nothing you can do about it, and it is what it is. But at least you went out doing what you do best. And now I feel like I think that's what made this so hard for me was, A, obviously Nate Lamon going out just feeling bad for him, but B, feeling like we played to what the other team wanted us to do. Like I definitely I, mm-hmm. I texted you at one point after the game was over, and I said, I feel like Utah was happy when they saw we came out and passed the ball like eight straight times. And oh, I'm sure they, I'm sure they were. Yeah. They're like, I, I, they're probably like, he's not going to keep this up. No, the game. And, or well, at that point, he hadn't even done that well. But yeah, but even when he started completing like a couple of bombs, I'm sure they were just like, all right, well, we'll take it. That's going to happen. It's okay. Yeah. So it just, yeah, it frustrated me and. You know, there were some other problems. Like, it wasn't all play calling. I mean, I know at one point we had said to each other it felt like felt like Sam just was making the wrong read on a couple of those read option plays where he kept it a few too many times when he should have just handed it off. But he might he just might not be great at reading that. Yeah, because because <laughs> and I think even um, I think Clat Joel Clat the the announcer I think he even said. It looks like, like on one of them, there was one that was particularly bad where Neuer kept it. And he was like, oh, that was just the wrong read. That should have gone to Broussard there for sure. And I was like, oh, you know what? He's kind of right. And then I was watching it from that point on. And then, you could, yeah, you could kind of see where, you know, Sam would keep the ball and he'd get like three yards. But Broussard's out on the edge by himself. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, there was definitely some some there were some other issues i guess is what i'm trying to say but i think the most frustrating thing is just like the play calling in general was was not was not good i felt i just felt the game plan in general was not good yeah i yeah i mean i i agree with 100 percent of what you just said the only other thing really coaching wise or play calling wise that i want to touch on is what the hell 
what the holy hell was the reason for running the ball at the end of the set first half when you could have just taken a knee? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was like a big thing that a lot of people were pissed about. My only my thing was if you're gonna run it, I I understand. Like I I get because they're thinking, okay, maybe Broussard breaks one and they can take the opportunity, maybe use a timeout or whatever it is, get some points. But what they ended up doing instead was not like it wasn't really that they ended up somewhere in the middle and then they got punished for it because they just didn't commit one way or the other. Like if you're just going to go into half and you just don't care about scoring from the get go, just kneel down. Like who cares? Just kneel down, run out the clock and be done with it. But instead they like, they ran the ball once and got eight yards. So they didn't get a first down. And they kind of walked up to the ball and they took their time. And I was like, all right, they took one shot at maybe Jarek's going to break one. But now they're just going to waste the clock all the way down. Whatever. No big deal, I guess. And instead, they snapped it with like 10 seconds still or more still. No. How much time was left? Like, they were like. It was like 15 seconds on the, on play, the play clock, clock yeah. left still. They snapped the ball again and gave it to Jarek Broussard again, and he got nine yards but then fumbled at the end of the run. And it was like, are you wasting the clock or are you not? Because if you're not wasting it, then you need to run to where that ball is spotted and go or, like, call a timeout. And if you are wasting the clock, then just don't snap the ball until you have no time left on the play clock. So I didn't know what they were doing. And I don't think they really <laughs> knew yeah. what they were doing either. So... Either either the staff was undecided or there was like a miscommunication between them and Sam on when to snap the ball. Yeah, I don't I don't know what was going on because they were doing the normal thing where like they get to the line and then Sam's kind of like staring back over at the coaches and waiting for the play call and then they got it and then he goes back. But they weren't hurrying. So I, I no. just didn't I didn't get what was going on at all. And then of course Utah goes fifteen yards in three plays in in 13 seconds and gets a field goal. But um, yeah, I mean it, it in the end, I don't think like it didn't make the, the difference in the game or anything because they ended up losing by 17, but it didn't help. It definitely that's for sure. didn't help. And it was definitely a weird decision. I mean, look, man, I watch Anthony Lynn coach football games every freaking Sunday. Okay. <laughs> I don't need to see this on Saturdays too. <laughs> I I watched an NFL coach in a game not realize that he needed to run his field goal unit out onto the field because he didn't realize he didn't have any timeouts left in their game this last week. So they didn't get any yeah. points to end the <laughs> first half. <laughs> okay? I don't need to see that any other time because I'm already at that point with them. I'm like, that guy needs to go. He's like the dumbest coach I've ever seen in my life. So... I don't need to see that with CU anymore, all right? I don't want it. I don't want it anywhere near me. Like, if you make a decision, if you're going to go for points, go for points. If you're not, then just kneel on the ball and go into halftime, and I would have been happy with either one, honestly. I would have, too. Either I would have, too. One. Just make, be assertive with the decision. Yeah, just don't, don't do whatever the hell that was ever again. <laughs> So the only other thing that was that was really bothering me was, or I guess not bothering me because this isn't something 
at least I don't think you can blame on Tyson Summers. Maybe that's my bias kicking in, but um, I don't think John Van Deest is a power five starter, or at least not at a team that should be, or at least was competing for the Pac-12 South. He just, it seemed like, obviously Nate Lamond is a special type of player, and he's going to make plays all over the field, but you could see that they went, right at John Van Deese the minute he was in the game from from that point on. And that's where they got most of their rushing yards. So that's something that, for me, kind of terrifies me for next year. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, – I think part of, part of the issue is, and they even mentioned it on the broadcast, is that Summers basically was like, look, I have this guy who's an incredible talent that linebacker and he's going to win us games on defense. So I'm going to take my defense and I'm going to gear the whole thing. I'm going to structure the entire thing around him. And once Nate Lehman went out, you're basically asking someone else to come in and fill, fill his role, which is just this like immensely huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I mean, whether it's, whether it's Jonathan Van Deest or anyone else. I mean, Akilah Jones is like a, he's a solid player and he's been playing well. Um, but it do, like it, it doesn't even matter. I mean, whoever it is that's going in there, there's gonna. I think the drop off is gonna look pretty steep because of what they're asked to do. Like Nate Landman, a lot of the time is just asked to essentially float four yards, five yards back off the line of scrimmage and just wait and read the play and decide what to do at that point, like which gap to fill or whatever, where to rush, yeah. all that stuff. And I just think, like, that takes a certain special kind of linebacker, and I don't think we have another one of those. Like, they don't grow on trees. We're not Alabama. Most people don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, when you lose a Buckus Award, should have been finalist, um, like, it's going to be hard for any team to fill. At least, like, you know, the superpowers, the Death Star that is Alabama, like they they just plug in some other five star guy who lacks experience but has all the physical talent. Like we don't have that, you know. When we're not that team, like we rely on development over time with a majority of our players, and that's just the way it's going to be at Colorado. I feel like for the most part. So, um, I agree. He did not have a strong game for sure after he replaced Nate Landman. I guess I'm just saying. I don't know that there are a ton of linebackers out there who would have replaced him and like looked good considering everything that like that entails. I think the main, the main thing that I'm worried about is um, how they're going to change the defense when they don't have that guy. Like what is the defense going to look like? Cause I, I know like Summers is a smart guy. He's not just going to be like, well, I don't have Nate Lehman, but let's just like try to make, Jonathan Van Deest into Nate Landon, you know, (laughs) like I, I know that given enough time, he's going to have to come up with something different. And I know he knows that. So I'm just, I'll be interested to see what it is. I'm, I'm more intrigued about that than I necessarily am about like the individual players that will be playing in the middle. Um, obviously like we're going to need better than what we got after Nate Lehman went out. Otherwise we're going to get run all over. But um, yeah, I, I guess I just kind of feel like he, he didn't, he didn't have a great game, but I just don't know. 
that you have a lot of guys who would come in and like be awesome. Yeah, that's it. Well, and also to mention that I'm pretty sure Nate Landman makes a lot of the adjustments for the defense. Yeah, I think he like runs so, the whole thing pretty much. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, he he really is a big a big. That's a big responsibility to fill. But I think the reason I have that opinion about John Van Deest, which I mean, he by all accounts sounds seems like a really good just like dude. Yeah. Um, so I don't mean to like talk down upon him, but he last year got benched for Akil Jones because he last year when he wasn't trying to fill Nate Lehman's role, couldn't really fill those run gaps. So, I mean, I think that that's kind of why I have that opinion. Love to be proven wrong next year, but it just, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a scary thought. And yeah. with Akil Jones being a new father, who knows if he's going to come back next year, even though he does get that free year of eligibility. Yeah, he did talk about that, actually, because he was one of the people interviewed today for, like, media time. Um, oh, I didn't even after hear that. practice. Yeah, because someone asked him about it, um, about whether he would consider coming back for another year. And I believe he said something along the lines of, like, not being sure necessarily, but that he feels that, he's strongly considering it because like Carl Durrell, he feels like he's doing something really special and anyone who's on the team and in playing together knows that like they've got something going on here and he does like the idea of being a part of it. So I, that, that was pretty much the gist. Like that's, you know, not word for word. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. um, I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. But yeah, I mean, I think there, there's definitely been, some issues. I think if you watch John Van Dies, like he's he's definitely had some problems just tackling in space. Pretty much, he's definitely gotten cooked a few separate times. Yeah. And even in their game against Arizona on that drive when they didn't have Carson Wells or Nate Landman in, it was like three straight plays of Jonathan Van Dies getting absolutely roasted by some guy in space. So yeah, I mean he's gonna have to work on that for sure, without a <laughs> doubt. But um, you know, I mean. I feel like Nate Lambin kind of came out of nowhere his his sophomore year, right? Was when he had his first big year. So, yes, it was a sophomore year. I mean, maybe maybe someone steps up, who knows? Maybe maybe we get someone else to fill that role, I don't know, but yeah, obviously not that anyone's going to just like be Nate Landman, but um someone's going to have to step up their play cuz right now the what we get when someone else comes in is just not not good enough there yeah i i agree um as as far as as the utah game goes anything else that you wanted to, to touch on before we go over the the rest of the pack here um i don't think so man i mean i okay i will say and i, I kind of jokingly texted you about this the 2020 team that is the colorado buffaloes that 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 season is is over as of late second quarter uh of that Utah game cuz <laughs> without Nate Landman they're just not the same team like period end of story i mean if they if someone had said to me before that game if they had said okay you're going to like who would be the number one worst possible guy to lose i would have said Nate Landman i wouldn't have thought twice about it if someone like same. The only other comparison possible would have been potentially Jarek Broussard. And even then I would have said, well, 
I mean, it could be interesting seeing like a shot get a lot more carries or something, you know, but with Nate Lehman, it's right. like, oh no, we're screwed, <laughs> you know? So yeah. And not to say that there aren't like very valuable guys still on that defense. And I know like our line is still a strength and Terrence Lang is still good. Mustafa Johnson has played well all year and Jalen Sami and all those guys, but it's just a completely different defense without Nate Lehman on there. And it shows because they were up 14 to seven when he went out of the game and then couldn't stop him for the rest of the game pretty much outside of yeah. like a couple kind of fluky things so yep i <laughs> I, yeah, I, so... I feel terrible about that but um on one hand you can say the real 2020 colorado buffalo is 5 and 0 as of uh late in the second quarter <laughs> of yeah, we, game five so, so yeah we were we as, as according to the shoulder to shoulder podcast record books we're five and oh, we so. are five we are we are five and oh and the season is over <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I mean in real in real life we'll we'll see what happens like i'll be interested to see how the team makes adjustments and how they play um in another game if they end up having one but that's you know that's a story for whatever week that potentially comes up yeah, and for the in the meantime, just fingers crossed that whatever injury Nate Lambman has is is not as serious as it looks like it could be. Yes, absolutely. So, getting into the to the rest of the pack. So, uh, starting on fr- Friday night, um, there was a murder. <laughs> Arizona State uh, rolled Arizona seventy to seventeen. Um, I didn't even realize they were playing. So by the time I realized, I w- didn't. It wasn't even worth watching the game. Um, but I did. I did watch back the highlights, and we talked about it. They started the game with the hundred yard kickoff return. So Arizona State was up, you know, fifteen seconds into the game, and then right after that, uh, what was it? A pick or what? What happened in on the second Arizona drive or the first Arizona drive? Um, to get ASU the ball back. Yeah. I believe it was um, – oh, shoot, I was looking at the wrong game. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. All I know is they got the ball back very quick because they had two touchdowns in the first, like, 53 seconds of the game. Um, oh, it was, it was a fumble. fumble. Here we go. Yep, it was yep, a fumble. fumble. Yep. So, so it, was yeah, ugly. It, was... it was ugly and it was ugly fast because then there was an interception on the next drive after that. So. Yeah. It was 14-0 with not even a minute passed in the game. They yeah. it slowed down for a second because it, they didn't score. Arizona State didn't score again until like two minutes left in the first quarter, and then after that it was just kind of a a massacre. Um, and I, I won. I think Arizona State. I don't think they're. I thought. I mean, we thought at the beginning of the season they were going to be like the second best team in the conference. I still think they could be, uh, or not in the conference in the South. Um, I still think they could be bar like if there was a full season. I don't think at any point though they were good enough to beat Arizona seventy to seven. I just think that after that first two series and then with Kevin Sumlin being a dead man walking, I think the Arizona team just kind of gave up. I mean, okay, let's go over what their drives were for that first half: fumble, interception, turnover on downs, fumble, fumble. Turnover on downs, <laughs> touchdown, turnover on downs. That was their first half, and they were losing forty-two to seven at halftime. So, it 
yeah i mean it 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 was ugly fast and it stayed ugly the whole the whole time i mean the the thing about asu the funniest thing about it is that they really didn't slow down i mean they just kept going they they had a drive up 70 to 7 with i want to say like six minutes left in the game where it was fourth and 10 on the arizona 28 and they went for it like yeah (laughs) they like they weren't stopping they were just like yeah we're gonna keep scoring on you until you stop us from scoring i mean that's pretty much all it was so they really they they put the hammer down on them but yeah i mean this game was over before it started clearly because i mean Jaden daniels was in when it was 63 to 7 yeah he was still in the game <laughs> yeah herm wanted wanted blood he was like uh going full-on like mortal combat finish him style um, to to be he, fair i mean when when you have a season where you've only played three of your supposed sure originally yeah, scheduled six true. games you probably want to get those guys reps but still 63 that's to 7 true. i mean that's you're just kind of you're really putting it on. <laughs> he was like, he was like, Samlin, I'm getting you fired, bro. And sure and enough, it, it happened. It happened. So yeah, ugly, yeah. ugly, ugly. So U of A is finishing next this week's season, uh, game for the season with uh, I don't even know who the they're not the playing. Is. I don't. Think. Oh, they aren't. No, because it was gonna be it was gonna be Arizona and Cal, and they decided not to play due to okay. COVID reasons, but. Also, also known as due to we both suck and we don't want to play. Yeah, um, that that makes more sense, honestly. Yeah. But um, so yeah, so Arizona State just just rolled that one seventy to seventeen. Um, the the next game after ours was USC UCLA, and man, that would have been soul crushing if we had beaten Utah and this game ended the way it did. Yeah. That- I think a lot of people were saying it um, while, the, like, after the game was over, that in hindsight, they were like, you know, it's almost a good thing that we didn't win because this would have been absolutely heartbreaking the way that USC won this game because they won it 43 38 and they won it on a last second, or not last second, but a late, late, late um, score. And. UCLA even had a chance at the end of the game with like a Hail Mary and it just didn't happen. But yeah, it, it was brutal. I mean, UCLA was leading this game for like a big portion and USC just found, found a way, man. They just, again, they just Kinda like found, they have all year <laughs> found a way. Cause they started out and they did not look good. And UCLA yeah. to their credit, like, I mean, they looked pretty solid. They were up 21 to 10. And their defense was playing lights out um, after the first half. And USC just kind of, I don't know if, if they were just like on offense. I didn't i didn't really see like what the overall makeup of the comeback was, whether they just started throwing it a lot more or, or what. But Slovis definitely stepped it up in the second half big time. And it kind of just changed changed the whole game. So... Yeah, I mean, at one point it was twenty-eight to ten in the second half. I mean, is the very beginning yeah, of the second right, half? Yeah, UCLA but... was up and just, oh man, like they—they they even or in UCLA it was so it was with eight minutes left. USC took their first lead of the game at thirty-five or thirty-six, thirty-five. Yeah, and then 
UCLA gets a field goal to go up 38-36 with 50 seconds left. And at that point, I was like, we've seen this story like three times already with USC this season. Like, if you leave anywhere close to a minute for Keaton Slovis and those receivers on the clock, they're probably going to do something with it. And they did. I mean, they scored scored with with 16 seconds left, so they didn't even use all 52 seconds. And and that was kind of the, the game at that point. They're like the only team in the country that seems freed up by the fact that they are forced to do literally nothing but pass. Like, they're losing, so they're like, well, we got a pass, and I guess we have to change our game plan now so that uh, we throw it to our amazing wide receivers with our really good quarterback now. <laughs> like, right. I, don't, I mean, it's the weirdest thing to me with USC. I'll, I don't, I mean, they, this is what I'm talking about. USC does what we did in this game. They have all this talent. All their wide receivers are amazing. Their quarterback was like a Heisman Trophy watch list, you know, before the this all the COVID stuff happened and the season got weird. And um, they're like, well, we got to establish the run. Like, why? Why do you have to establish the run? He literally, you don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to. You just throw the ball up in the air to Tyler Vaughns or Amon Ross St. Brown, and it doesn't matter because they're going to beat whoever's guarding them, like, every every single time, every single time. So, um, yeah, this is, like, my this is my whole thing. This is why Clay Helton isn't a good coach because he does dumb crap like this where it puts them in a hole and they have to work their way back. And this is why that's what stupid coaches do. They say, what's our strength. Okay. We're not going to do that. Like it's stupid and they shouldn't do it. I don't know why they don't just pass all the time. If you USC has the kind of talent at receiver where if they just stopped recruiting running backs right now and said, okay, we're going to just put a receiver at running back. He's going <laughs> to run out of the bat, run flares out of the backfield. I, and they threw it 90% of the time. I don't think there's a team in the conference that could legitimately stop that. I mean, literally throw the ball until they drop nine. Like, th- throw the ball until their pass rush is two people, and then you can run it. And uh, then yeah, you, then run and, the ball. And then run it, sure. But, like, I mean, honestly, I, I don't – if you watch any of their games, they've got literally legitimately four guys who would probably be the number one receiver on, like, pretty much every team. And I'm pretty sure all four conference. of them were five stars, correct? Uh, I don't know for sure, but they were all definitely highly ranked, definitely. Yeah. I know St. Brown and uh, Drake London were. Tyler yeah, Vaughn's probably was. If I don't not, know if he was, he was a, a five star. or a high four, but it, either way, it doesn't matter. Like, they could just – and they showed it. They ended up scoring – they scored 33 points in the second half after they scored 10 in the first half because they were just <laughs> like, you know what, whatever, we got to just chuck it. I mean, literally, the last touchdown, Keaton Slovis was looking at the play, and it was a called run play. And he looked over and he was like, oh, I have my guy one-on-one with the defender on the outside. I'm going to check this to a pass and just toss it to him. And that's exactly yeah. what he did. And it was a <laughs> touchdown. Like, literally, your quarterback is like, maybe I should throw it to this guy on my team who's really good. Okay, I think I'm going to try it. And it worked. <laughs> and it worked. Just yeah. like, it, didn't, it, it also didn't help that the kickoff, on the kickoff, USC returned it to the UCLA's. Out of the right, field. yeah, because some other amazing player who's, like, relegated to doing kick returns uh, at USC is also awesome. Yeah. Just, yeah, just the, the talent on that team compared to their level of play, just mind-boggling. It all comes back to Clay Hilton. 
if they had a good coach, it's actually kind of awesome that they're probably going to win the Pac-12 this year because Clay Helton's going to have to like get an extension or something. And, probably. And they're just going to be like this for another four years, recruiting just, five-star talent and and just playing to the level of whoever they're playing. Yeah, so for at least – as long as Clay Helton's there, CU has a chance to get that monkey off the back. Yes. So – yeah, UCL, USC ended up winning it 43-38. Um, last game of the of the weekend because Cal and Wazoo were canceled and Washington and Oregon were canceled. So Cal, or COVID was 2-0 for the week. Um, Stanford won 27-24 over Oregon State. Uh, I mean, I wasn't really surprised by this outcome, I guess. I think I think everyone thought Stanford was like really steadily improving over the year, or yeah, over the year, but... Um, Oregon State still didn't have Tristan Gebbia, Gebbia, however you say that, back. So, I mean, it wasn't even their starting quarterback, and they, they ended up losing by three points. I watched a little bit of this game. Um, I wasn't too concerned with it because it really had no impact on the, the championship game or anything like that. But um, Jamar Jefferson was back. He didn't have his normal game. He only went for like 80 yards. But it was, I mean, it was it was a close game. I don't really have too many thoughts on this one specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think Davis Mills is pretty good. Like I said last week, if he's just standing in the pocket and throwing it, great. He's great. <laughs> yeah, he can, but, he's a statue, though. He's yeah. a literal statue. Yeah, big-time big statue. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they, they just did they did what, they, what Stanford wants to do. He threw the ball well and Austin Jones ran it 22 times for 126 yards. So nothing like eye popping, but, uh, but good, solid, solid team, solid, solid game plan for them. And, um, you know, Oregon state. Yeah. They still don't have their starting quarterback and actually Nolan, their backup played much, much better in this mm-hmm. game than he did in their last one. But, um, yeah, it just wasn't, wasn't enough. But I'm with you. I mean, it didn't really have a bearing on anything, and I honestly didn't watch very much of it at all. Yeah, I as I, I as we mentioned that Davis Mills is a statue. I did see that he had a bootleg and it scored. It wasn't a very quick bootleg. I don't know how he wasn't caught, but he bootlegged it for a score. Um, so that was that. That is one thing he did to kind of prove us wrong there. I but mean, yeah, for the most part, he yeah, is a statue. yeah, good good for him. Good for him, man. I'm just, I'm just saying, if he's in a foot race, he's not winning. He's not winning against pretty much anybody. Yeah. So, that that covers um, the uh, the rest of the Pac-12. We don't have a a re- or not a recap, a preview for for this week because essentially, and we're gonna get this in just a second. Um, the Pac-12 said, "See you. Screw you guys. You're gonna do exactly what we say uh, if you want to play this weekend." But um, right now, essentially, I mean, we can just get into it. What happened is Washington can't play in the Pac-12 championship. Um, according to, to Jimmy Lake and some sources for the team, they cannot even, like, field a team. They've been hit by COVID so bad. So they aren't playing. Uh, Oregon is moving up to take the spot uh, of Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. And the Pac-12 said, okay, CU, you guys can play somebody else, like somebody, you know, non-conference, non-conference if you want. Non-conference, yeah. But if 
USC can't go in the championship game. You have to be able to ready to go at like a any at a moment's notice. So Rick Rick George came out and said, "Yeah, we're not scheduling non-conference." But I wouldn't be surprised if we see CU say, "Okay, we're not going to play this week, and we're just going to prepare for our bowl game." Yeah, I mean the the issue is like we don't really know like what their bowl game is even going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's really what it comes down to is the Pac-12 has, has four games where their teams can qualify or four bowl games left, essentially, that that mm-hmm. the Pac-12 teams can qualify for. And they've got four teams in this little bracket for our potential like championship game or whatever. But... Um, which which is Oregon, Washington, USC, and us. Washington, like you said, they can't play, so Oregon's in. Whatever. None of that is, like, groundbreaking news. Mm-hmm. We essentially no. have four bowl-eligible teams. And um, the, it, my, my issue with this is, well, there's a couple of problems. Number one, if you're USC, you probably would rather for your perception um, – overall like whatever absolutely minuscule playoff chance there is like just overall perception of the team you want to play the best team available and in in that case that's that's cu i mean you they would much rather have a number 25 ranked colorado coming to play them than the three and two unranked Oregon team, even though Oregon is like the quote unquote bigger brand. So Mm -hmm. that's problem number one. Now, now you're the PAC 12 and you have one of your two ranked teams just not playing because you basically screwed them over. Um, That's, that's problem. Number one, problem number two is if being the buffs, you don't know how the bowl games are going to shake out now. So that, that bothers me a lot because Essentially, the way that this year is going to work, because the Rose Bowl is a semifinal for the college football playoff, which we're probably not going to make. The Bulls break down to, uh, what is it, the Fiesta Bowl would be the top one, right? Yes. So it'd be the Fiesta Bowl um, for the winner, so let's say USC. And then it comes down to the Alamo Bowl, which is far and away the best one remaining. The uh, Independence Bowl, right? And then the like armed forces, armed forces. Mm-hmm. bowl. Um, so, and let's keep in mind here: CU making a bowl this year is already freaking awesome. Whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So just throwing that aside, the thing that bothers me about this is w- by not playing a game, we essentially don't get the opportunity to prove to ha- to prove that we belong in like that second best bowl game. You know. Or even mm-hmm. just like above Oregon, because now you're just talking about. Um, I mean, worst case scenario for CU here is Oregon beats USC, and now you're talking about four and two Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl and USC in the Alamo and Washington being what are they three and one, but they're Washington going to whatever the next best one is, and then we're stuck with the lo- the last one. And yeah. at no fault of our own, just because we just didn't have the opportunity to play. So, yeah, I mean, it sucks, man. It sucks. I I tweeted it out at one point. Um, I'm not even saying that CU would beat USC in a matchup, but 
essentially what's happened here now is three separate times CU has lost games in this already short season because of things that are entirely out of their control because of a different team having COVID issues, which they've handled very, very well. And um, it ended up, I mean, it cost them a chance to get into the Pac-12 championship. I know they theoretically had an outside shot at it if they had beaten Utah, but um, they didn't beat you. But they, even if they had beaten Utah with USC winning, they wouldn't have gone to the Pac-12 championship game anyway. So right. um, they, yeah, they just, they've had like the, they've, They've had a pretty tough break with the Pac-12 this year at pretty much every turn. It's like, oh, well, guess CU's getting screwed this week. And it just seems like it's happening again and again and again. I mean, there's a lot of people on Twitter being like, let's just go back to the Big 12. Who cares? And, yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 has just been kind of a shit show. And um, it's not fair. And I understand that in this pandemic year, there are a lot of things that are not fair. I totally get that, and I totally understand that in past years, the two best teams have been in the North. Mm-hmm. I get that, but the difference with every other year is that when the two best teams were in the North, they got to play each other at some point, and one of them beat the other one, all right? So this is different, so I don't want to see that argument anymore from people because we didn't get a chance to play USC, and USC didn't have a game against potentially the only other team that could have knocked them out of the top spot in their division. So, you know, it's not fair and that's okay. But also it's just, you just can't deny that the buffs got kind of a raw deal here. Yeah. They did. I mean, especially because they did handle their COVID protocol so well, right? And exactly. They didn't they, have any they issues. still got screwed by it all year long. They were, they didn't have any issues. And I mean, they stayed in a hotel during their fall camp. Like, I mean, they were doing everything in their power, and and it worked to their credit. It worked, but they still ended up getting screwed by it. Yeah. So un- unfortunately, we won't really. I mean, I guess we'll know what by next week what bowl we're in, or when when will we know? Yeah, I, I'm assuming. Well, so the last rankings, the last, the final college football playoff rankings will come out a week, uh, week today. from today. And I believe, and I, I would imagine it'd be yeah shortly after that, right? Because I, I it's, think it's most gotta of, be. most of the bulls would probably wait until um, the final college football playoff rankings come out. Well, they have, I mean, they have to, I guess, because it's like a trickle down effect, pretty yes. much. But yeah, yeah. So I, I would imagine sometime at, shortly after Tuesday. And I mean, there will there will be projections. The hard part is this year you just don't know. Like especially for CU, you just don't know. Because they're not playing in the championship game. So there won't be any kind of like, well, if we win this, we're in the Fiesta Bowl, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, even though Oregon is the, like, by default um, team in the championship game, does that mean that even though they lose, are they going to the freaking Alamo Bowl? Like, <laughs> even though they're, like, probably the fourth best team in the conference? <laughs> so... Um, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do any of that. And, you know, Washington, God knows what's going on with them with their COVID problems. So there's it, there's going to be a lot up in the air, I think, for a little yeah, while it, here. It's, yeah, I think we're just going to have to kind of wait, unfortunately, yeah. until next week to really know what's actually going on. Yep, I think you're right. Yep. So that, um, unless there's anything else you wanted to touch on there, that'll, that'll do it for this week's episode. Um, 
Chase and I will get together and figure out what we're going to do depending on bowl games and whatnot. If we do a preview or just a recap, but um, we'll, we'll obviously let you know through Twitter, all buffs, um, buff stampede and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, for tuning in again, and uh, hopefully we have a, a bowl game to talk about at some point by the end of the month. Yeah, seriously. Hope, hopefully we get some good news for once um, coming up here because I, I still like to watch the Buffs one, one more time this year regardless of who's going to be able to be out on the field for them. But, um, yeah, as always, you know, like, subscribe, rate and review, um, tell your friends. We're still here. We've got at least what one more of these, maybe maybe another, depending on if we actually play more this year or not. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. So uh, as always, thanks for listening and let's go buffs. Let's go buffs. <laughs>